0: Welcome, I'm Jean Parker, and you're listening to Discovering How, a podcast of the Ethical Business Building the Future organization. We're a global learning community, using our workplaces to build a better future. On today's program, we're learning more about practical strategies some people use to find meaningful work, or to make their current work meaningful. Alex Kebon explains how difficulties have prepared him to find meaningful work. Payam Zamani provides a concrete example of putting his company's values into action. But first, Stephanie Akayo-Hughes tells us about how Action Labs can be a way to interact, explore, and experiment with the application of meaningful ideas. Here she explains how it works.
1: So what happens is you know in their local communities it could be people at work Uh, that they form a group with and an action lab with, or it could be just their neighbors or just their friends or, um, you know, people in their building. It could be anybody who they feel longs for, for that type of interactions. Um, and they become a center point and a lot of people then form teams. So in Italy, for example, we had a very enthusiastic um, group of young people and they they would organize the action labs as a team of three. And they were very enthusiastic and, of course, as a team, they keep each other um, enthusiastic and and challenged, which works quite well. And accountable, I suppose. Exactly. The first one we did was the question of meaningful work. Um, I'm an entrepreneur myself, and in that world, you also find a lot of people searching for, you know, what is meaningful work for them. Uh, a lot of people would be in jobs and, and not happy, um, in the sense, with what they're doing, so they're, they're looking for more. And there is this question of this new generation has, you know, a job is not uh, only a way to pay the bills. They really are looking for meaning and purpose through their job. And that was a very kind of general question that a lot of people uh, shared. So that was a very good opening content. Uh, the idea is that we start the first session with um, an inspiration. Either it's a quote or it's a speaker, or and it's it's it's, it's we keep it very short because it's not about uh, the speaker in a sense like most events uh, would be. It's about using the speaker as a trigger. Uh, and then we go into a workshop uh, scenario where we have different questions prepared. There's a lot of paper, post-its, uh, pens, discussions. If the group is more than uh, five or six people, we break into smaller groups and then we have really, you know, smaller groups, Would you would be able to deepen the conversation uh, a little bit more. So that's what we would be aiming for. And then we would, um, you know, report uh, in a plenary, Um, format what has been happening at every table then we go back into the table and we do that for uh, anywhere between two to four hours um, sessions and then at at the end of the session always ends with um, the first session would start like that and then it would end with a bit of a pledge for action and we encourage the actions to be small actions Um, change the world is not a good action because you wouldn't know where
0: to start I suppose that's a mistake a lot of people make is not being too ambitious exactly, but, but maybe not realistic about what can right. be done, and therefore they don't
1: succeed. Exactly. I think it's very, it's very easy not to succeed if the action is too big and you can't break it down. So we always say make it as big as possible and now break it down. And what is the, the first step? And then break that step down. And, you know, and we encourage people to really go small because that's, that's easy to actually achieve. So we've had some people pledge to smile more at work and it's a very simple thing and it's a very small thing and for some people it might sound maybe too hippie or you know but this is this is the beginning and for that person this was important and that person felt that they could keep up this promise and of course they also had the ne- the second and third steps in line and then the big vision of where they want to go which ultimately for everybody is is kind of make a better world Um but it was important to break it down now the second and uh, subsequent meetings would start a little bit differently because we would start with a reflection on the last few weeks when we were back in our daily lives and we had these pledges, you know, what worked, what didn't work. Um, some some pledges would backfire in a sense. Some people would smile more at work and then their boss would say, you know, you're not being serious enough. I'm giving a very mm. simplistic example, but just to kind of, um, yeah, give a bit of, um, of, of insights into some things. You know, you would think they would work and you try them and they wouldn't work and they might work for somebody and not for somebody else. So it was important to have a reflection moment to see, you know, We've had troubles in the last three weeks or things didn't work. Does Did anybody else share that experience? Or learning from each other is was the key to all of this.
0: Now, what were some of the resulting organizations or projects?
1: A lot of people quit their jobs, <laughs> 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 which, funnily enough, is what happened to me after my first ABBF conference uh, is when I decided, no, I have to make a change in my life. Um, so that's the kind of, it's been a recurrent joke, uh, in a sense. And I think part of that is, is very courageous and part of that is very good. And you need, it was the support you get from a community of like-minded people around you that would give you this extra push. You needed to take a step that you've wanted to take for a long time, but had, you know, you hadn't clarified that to yourself or you didn't have the courage to do it and, and things like that. So there was a lot of support created. Um, and even though a lot of the action labs, um, you know, they stop after three or four sessions and then we into a different group of people, there are friendships that are formed that I hear five years later are still there. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's the great, the most kind of sustainable um, outcome because those things will stay forever. And then no matter what the question is, you have the system around you of, uh, of support, which is, uh, which is great. Um,
0: but for the people who quit their jobs, <laughs> yeah. uh, what are they doing now? What are the, what are the resulting uh, income-generating projects or livelihood projects that they're working on.
1: Yeah, some people, um, the people that quit their jobs did did that to start their own uh, kind of uh, Mm -hmm. projects. And what are those? So um, one of them started a clean water project for uh, Congo. Um, and I still still see them from time to time because they share a co-working space that uh, that I work in uh, sometimes as well. So it's it's interesting to see you know three years later. It's still a, it's still at the beginning and it's still a struggle, but it's a it's a very commendable um, project in a sense. So that was that was one of them. Another one started uh, clean fuel. Um, project or initiative uh, if we call it and it's to it's to look at how can we produce clean fuel in a in, in a in a business model that still works
0: Payam zamani is the ceo of one planet ops a startup incubation and investment company here is how he implements his company's value of contributing to society in our
2: organization we really want to see people um, contribute in a way that is very personal to them like for example One thing we do is that we allow uh, individuals to take five days off a year and use those as service days. And during those service days, they get to choose how they're going to benefit the community of their choice while getting paid in a way that is very personal to them, in a way that they really appreciate and will get them excited about their experiences in life.
0: What kind of projects do people work on?
2: we give a lot of freedom to people we provide very few rules we tell them that we you can work on any project that as long as that project does not bring about disunity i'll give you an example we tell them that they cannot use those paid service days to work with parties and politics because that brings about disunity but really beyond that sky is the limit so you see people of volunteering in, their, in a school. You see people going to a homeless shelter and volunteering. You see people uh, giving blood on that day. You see people going out there and feeding, you know, people on the street. People do all kinds of stuff. They go clean the highway and it is completely up to them to decide how they can best benefit their community of choice on that day. It's not up to me, but giving them the freedom to do it in a way that they feel more empowered.
0: Alex Kebon says he learned early about sacrifice, compromise, and making decisions.
3: When I went to my first job, so I had to choose between a 4,000 euros job in a big telecom company in Paris, or 250 euros and living with seven people in a small flat in two rooms and traveling by bus uh, instead of airplanes for the meetings and stuff like this. Uh, to to work with Isaac, with an NGO. So I I made this decision. I chose a meaningful job, right? So I I had to compromise financially, my comfort, my my financial situation to serve more and to have, uh, to develop myself more. So actually it's not just about serving, it's about growing as well. And this created a pattern for the rest of my life, which is a pattern of, uh, I'm always ready to give more than what I receive. So, you know, I'm... uh, I'm going to work for a company and I'm adding this much value to them and I want to add the value first. That's a more, the mindset that I started building. ISEC was me contributing a lot and maybe not getting a lot financially or in many aspects, but then I was growing a lot and keeping the eyes on your grow helped me then to move into the corporate world after by developing a lot of capacities. But still, I moved to the biggest consulting company in the world, uh, Price at House Coopers, uh, and I was making a million for them. I was selling to big CEOs and ambassadors, but I was an intern. Uh, I had the status of an intern. I was making a thousand dollars. I was like, and I was making a million. So it was there was a lot of contradiction. And many people in this situation they gave up. They were this is totally unfair. So, How so can I were do that? you making
0: a million for them, but only a thousand for you.
3: Yes. So so this sounds crazy. Most people in this situation will decide to quit and to say this is unfair. But no, I I think there is a time for adjustment. So after a few months, after a year doing that, then I was in a position to renegotiate. I I was in a position to get promoted as a regional manager of a whole continent and, and doing amazing things with new products. But I had to be patient for that as well. Not too patient, not spending five years doing something before you have an opportunity to do something meaningful but sacrificing some stuff and understanding that you need first to give before you ask, you know, you need first to deposit on your account before you can withdraw that. That's kind of the idea that stayed with me during all the next opportunities that came both in terms of, uh, of finance, but also in terms of growth and adding value and receiving value in general.
0: What do you wish you had learned in school about this?
3: Yeah. My, my formal education was mostly in France, right? Uh, So I would say that the French education system is great. I mean, compared to the Brazilian one where I live now, I see that I didn't have to spend any money for that, you know, uh, up to master's degree for free. And I I learned effort, I learned discipline, something that's missing a lot here, which is uh, you have to arrive on time, you have to deliver on time, you have to to be at the exam. If you miss anything of that, then you're penalized and you have to compete as well. Uh, That's what I, I learned. And this made me a very capable person, a very disciplined person, someone that's ready to make effort. The competitive system I went through, uh, which was for the elite of, of, of France, so you don't go to a normal university, you finish high school and you compete for two years to make an exam that brings you to the best business and engineering schools. And and that's like 50,000 people doing a. Uh, a week of assessment to for 100 to get in the school. That's, that's the type of, of competition I went through. Uh, 80 hours a week of study and, and this built my character in a way that was good because I, I felt empowered and I felt strong and I felt determined and focused but at the same time my spiritual aspect was very much prejudiced by that but still deep inside me I still have beliefs and uh, I still live a bit in the domination paradigm that I was uh, that I was very much put into during my education system. And this in a way serves me because it makes me get opportunities that others don't. But in a sense, spiritually me, I feel sometimes that uh, it, will be, it will be easier for me or it will be nicer if I was more connected with others, more cooperative, more collaborative, co-creating more, and sometimes more humble as well. I think this is some of the things that I missed in my formal education, mm. the values that I could have had.
0: And was this always a clear path for you? Did you have any doubts along the way?
3: Yes, I would say that even today, I'm not sure. You know, there is always an amount of doubt. And I'm, I'm 32 now, and I'm asking myself, is this the right way? You know, I, I constantly have this reflection space, and I evaluate how am I impacting corporate leaders, and how is my... Uh, spiritual service to the community in a volunteer basis going, and how is my teaching in MBAs now at uh, at university as well going, and how they all connect. I, I'm always questioning and and trying to realign. And I had many sleepless nights, especially in the in the more strong adjustment phases. Right. So to give an example, when I moved from the NGO world of making an impact in very simple conditions to the academic world or to the biggest corporation uh, of consulting in the planet, then the shocks were immense. So you had moments of a huge tension to adapt. And then when I quit uh, PwC to start my own company as an entrepreneur, again, a lot of change and a lot of sleep nights night as well, because you, every change is painful, it's difficult. So, so it, there is a lot of suffering as well in the story. And, and this suffering are the moments that allow me to tell stories in a sense, right? When when you are in a comfort zone, when you do a nice trip, very comfortable and enjoyable, you don't have much to say about it. But when I was like in extreme conditions with extreme challenges, this is where I I grew so much. And this is where I can tell stories that inspire others, that touch others, that make a difference in their lives as well. So somehow I will not... If I will do it again, I will still want to have these challenges and the ones I'm facing now as well, because I know they are part of finding my purpose, of building myself. And somehow we need to find a way to see that tests, you know, as polishing ourselves and making us more shiny.
0: <laughs> Thank you for joining us. We hope today's program has inspired you, our listeners, with ideas for discovering how we can all build a prosperous, just, and sustainable civilization. This has been Ethical Business Building the Future, Discovering How. Get more from this podcast by sharing your comments, an article, or a link to something that's important to you. You can contact us on our website, www.ebbf.org. I'm Jean Parker for EBBF, and I thank you for listening.